It's good to be with you guys. Um, it's kind of nice preaching twice because I could uh, come over in the car and my wife and kids can tell me what was bad in the first sermon. <laughs> so, which is great. No, they didn't tell me what was bad. I'm like, did that part make sense? That Not so much. So hopefully the part that can be confusing and won't be so confusing this time. So I will try my best. It is good to be with you. I wasn't here for... The time of music, um, but I trust that it was just as good over there, and it sounded so great over there. And so, props to Van and Rodocker for getting the mix right. Props to our music team for providing an undistracted vehicle, undistracting vehicle for us to worship our Lord with. Like, and when they do it well, it just helps facilitate. The worship of our God. So I'm thankful for them. Um, so we're in this situation as a country that you all know very well, right? So over uh, 150,000 people in our country alone uh, have passed away, um, and COVID has played a role in all of those deaths. And there's all this information about about COVID that's coming out and you know and parents are trying to decide what to do with their kids in school and then on top of that craziness you have the whole you know protests that are happening over police brutality and systemic racism in our country and then there's a whole bunch of different views on that and there are so many modes of communication in 2020 you know through the technology that we have, there are so many voices that often, I don't know about you, but I just like, I don't even know what to think anymore sometimes. It's so hard to sort it all out and what's true and what's not. I think, um, so that we don't feel like waves tossed back and forth from all these voices, that it is ex exceedingly critical that we are tuned in to God's word during this time because we know that God's word is a stable foundation in unstable times right and so if we're gonna even have an idea of how to navigate these uncharted waters it's gonna be because we're allowing we're feasting on God's word we're allowing the truth his unchanging truth to form us and so what I want to do in regards to racism and, and race, I thought it would be good for us as a church to really go to the scripture to see, well, what does God have to say about race? Because that's the unchanging truth that we need to be informed and influenced by and shaped by. So that's what we're going to do through this series. And I thought it would be good to start at the beginning of the Bible. And so what we're going to do, and I'm going to try and do this more briefly than I did over there. Did you have to wait a long time? Oh. Okay, good. So I'm going to look at the first 12 chapters of Genesis, and I'm just going to pick parts so that you can see from the beginning even what God's view of race was. Right. So here's the questions we're going to answer. Why is racism wrong? Why does racism exist? And how will racism be solved? And it's all in Genesis 1 through 12. How about that? You don't even need the rest of the Bible. You do, but let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us 
and that you have given us your unchanging truth that really explains ultimate reality because you are the ultimate reality beyond you know behind what is all behind everything that is real and true you define truth you define as our maker what we were made for and how we are to live and we're, we're grateful that you decided to reveal yourself to us uh, through your word lord as we look at it we pray that your words would penetrate our hearts so that they root themselves inside of us in there and it becomes something that we actually live out of not just something we know about lord we love you it's in your name jesus that we pray amen all right so genesis 1 25 to 27 i think this helps us answer why is racism wrong you are probably familiar with these verses then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Him, male and female, he created them. So these verses, you have the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-loving, unchanging, eternal God as the masterpiece of his masterpiece creating human beings in his image right we are the only created thing that can raise our hands and say we are made in the likeness of God as beautiful as the mountains are, the ocean, the prairies, the animals and that you know roam the earth, none of them can say, I am made in the very likeness and image of God. Only we can. So what does this mean? This means, and this is critical to this conversation of race, every single person has inherent dignity and worth. Every single person everywhere has inherent dignity and worth because every person everywhere is a carrier of the very image of God, the very image of God. This is the foundation for all human rights. This teaching of the Bible. Scholars have debated what does it mean to be made in the image of God, right? And so some scholars will point to, well, um, our, our call to rule over the earth on God's behalf. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. You know, we reflect his rule, his, his um, rule, right? So other scholars have said, well, what it means to be made in the image of God is really our relational capacities. God has always existed, right, um, in this loving community of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He created Adam and Eve, and so we reflect God's image as we relate to one another in love the way the Godhead does. Other scholars have pointed to the fact that what, why we are like God and, why, and what it means to be made in His image is that we have this ability to reason, to use logic. We have a moral code right we can have relationships full of love and commitment not just animal instincts 
Here's what I think. I think all of what the scholars are pointing out, are all, they're all right. And if you put them all together, you have a robust kind of definition of what it means to be made in the very likeness of God and what separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. Now, what's so important here is that when we mistreat another person, Guess what we're doing? We are mistreating the very image of God. That's what we're doing. We are abusing and mishandling the very image of God. James 3 makes this point. James 3, he's talking about the power of our tongue to destroy, right? And he says this. And 9 and 10, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. And what James is saying, even to talk negatively about another person, to slander them, to make jokes about them, is to actually, it's such an offense to God because you are mishandling the image of God in that person. And you are mishandling a person that God has created and loves more than we can fully even comprehend. This is, like I said, the basis for all human rights. If you take this away, you may stand for human rights, but you do not have any rationale for why. You may say, I think racism is wrong. And if somebody asks you why, you'll say, because it's just not right. And they'll say, why? But why? You don't have an answer for that. And what happens is if you take this teaching away, the you have no foundation to stand on to say that racism is wrong. Because what if the, the person next to you thinks racism is right? Why is your opinion more valid than their opinion? And guess what? Right now, by and large, I think our society thinks racism is wrong. But, you know, not too long ago, even in our own country, the whole, you know, a big part of the society thought it was right. Why are we right and they're wrong? You've got to go back because there is a, there is a God and he defies what is right and wrong. I hope that makes sense. You take that away, you have no foundation to stand on. All right, why? And this is our, so why is racism so wrong? What is racism? It is, I, I think one way you can define it, it is the belief that one race of people is inherently superior to another race of people. So it's the belief that because my skin is white, I am inherently superior to a person's skin that is black. And therefore, because I am superior to them, I have every right to treat them as less than me. That's what race is. The racism is. Why does racism exist? Well, guess what? We find it right here in Genesis 1 through 12. The chapters, you turn to Genesis 3, you find why racism, racism exists. In Genesis 3, we have Adam and Eve, right? Made in God's image. 
There's this unity between Adam and Eve. There's this unity between God and Adam and Eve. There's shalom. There's peace. Walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden. But that all was just ruptured and fractured when Adam and Eve decided to live for their own glory instead of God's glory. That's what their decision really was when they ate the the forbidden fruit. They were really deciding that I'm going to live my own life apart from God. I'm going to reject him. I'm going to do my own thing and live for my own glory. What happened? Well, obviously, you see Adam and Eve, you know, they're hiding out of fear from God after that decision. So their relationship with God was ruptured and fractured. What happens between Adam and Eve? Adam blames Eve for the decision to eat the forbidden fruit. Eve blames the serpent. And God tells them, look, your desire, Eve, is going to be for Adam but his is going to be for you. And, and what he's talking about is, look, Eve, you're going to want to rule Adam, and he's going to want to rule you. And so that, the, that's when this, when sin entered, entered in, it really ruptured human relationships. And it's been passed down to all of us. This disease of sin that is extremely aggressive, more so than COVID-19, And what that disease of sin in us does and wants to do is it wants glory for ourselves. It wants to be superior to other people. It wants to look down our noses at other people. And so what does, what do humans do in order to make people, you know, in order to make themselves feel better about themselves? They come up with all kinds of stipulations as to why they're superior. This is where racism comes from. I want to elevate myself over other people, and so I will say that because they have a certain skin color, or they're from a certain nation, I'm superior. (coughs) That's why racism exists. And what's so crazy about the aggressiveness of sin is that even Christians, this is one of the saddest parts to me, even Christians have used the scripture to support slavery. And I'm going to show you the three or four verses that have been used the most by Christians, especially when they're slavery in our country not long ago. This, these are the verses that they pointed to the most. You ready to look at them? We just turn a couple chapters to Genesis 9. Let me read through these verses. Before I do, let me give you some context. Genesis 9. It records, you know, this is after the flood. God wiped out evil humanity, except for Noah and his family. He decides to start over. God gives Noah the same charge that he gave Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, repopulate the earth. And so Noah, he has a vineyard, right? He's taking the, you know, he's, 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 he has a vineyard. He drinks too much wine. He gets drunk. And I don't know if he passes out or if he falls asleep or what happens, but he ends up naked in his tent, right? Sounds like a, a bad, like, sounds like a bad joke or a bad, I don't know, dream or something, but this was for real, right? So, and he has three sons. Noah has three sons. He has Shem, uh, Japheth, and he has Ham. Well, Ham, his youngest son, finds Noah passed out drunk in his, naked in his tent, 
And what Ham does, he goes to get his other two brothers so that they can go back and make fun of Noah. Well, his other two brothers aren't willing. And actually, they go back into Noah's tent backwards. And so they don't see their naked father and they cover him up. Uh, when Noah wakes up, he, when he found out what Ham was doing and trying to do, this is what Noah stated in Genesis 9, 25 through 27. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. All right, this is where I made it really muddy in the first sermon. I'm going to try and be more clear in this one. All right, here we go. This is how pro-slavery people have totally mishandled these verses, which has led to unimaginable suffering and damage, especially to black people in the history of our country. This is what they've done. Are you ready? I'm going to do my best. They have said that they believe, they, they promoted the idea that Cam and all of his sons were cursed. But did you see what the verse says? By the way, one of Ham's son, one of them was Canaan. Canaan. Another one was Cush. <coughs> Guess where black people descend from? Cush, not Canaan. So, they, they tried to say that Ham was cursed in all of his sons. When very clearly this says, look, it's going to be uh, Canaan that is cursed. And black people don't descend from that son of, of Ham. And scholars will tell you that what Noah was doing, because when I first read this, I was just like, man, that's unfair to, uh, that's unfair to uh, Canaan, right? He's going to be cursed because his father, Ham, um, did this to Noah? That seems unfair. But scholars will tell you what uh, Noah is doing with this statement. It's more of a prophetic telling of what the future holds. That... Canaan is going to be just as wicked as the, the people of Canaan. The Canaanites are going to be just as wicked as their father, Ham. That's what this is doing. Guess what? A curse did come to Canaan, right? In the Canaanites. What ended up happening was Israel conquered them when they went into the promised land. But... And that was God's judgment on them because they were wicked people. But was it based on race? Was it based on color of skin? No. It was based on their wicked hearts and their evil character. That's why God judged them in the way that he did. If he would have killed the Canaanites based on the color of their skin, guess who would have had to die too? The Israelites. Because the Canaanites most resembled the Israelites. And so I say all this to show you that this idea that because there's this curse on Canaan and they're going to serve, um, you know, Ham's uh, brothers and their families and descendants, 
it, it's wrong. Black people didn't descend from Canaan. And that judgment of them happened, uh, you know, thousands of years earlier. And so what's unfortunate is that people still promote this idea today. It's still being taught that these verses support the slavery of black people. How, so this is what is, you know, uh, um, why is racism wrong? Why does it exist? We've talked about that as we look at Genesis, Genesis 3. How will it be solved? Let me just briefly mention Genesis 12. So just go a couple chapters to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. This is uh, God talking to Abram that later became Abraham. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so God is telling Abraham, look, I'm going to make you great. I am going to give you, I'm going to turn you into a nation. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to take care of you. And almost, if you just read it quickly, and that's all you consider from this passage, it's almost like, man, God's kind of a racist, right? Like he is favoring Abraham and his descendants. Um, but if you look at the verse and you make sure you read it to the very end, what does God say he's doing that for? Why is he blessing Abraham and his descendants in extraordinary ways? So that they can be an extraordinary blessing to all families of the earth. Abraham's family was going to be the vehicle by which God would bless all races of people. And so... We know that God did indeed fill, fulfill this promise. He did use Abraham's family to extend blessing, blessings to all races, right? We know this because Jesus, God came in the person of Jesus, who descended from Abraham's family. And Jesus, not only be, God not only became a human being in Jesus, I mean, that's just crazy enough, but he became a slave. He became a slave. And Jesus suffered the greatest amount of injustice this world has ever seen. Jesus, who had the right as God and creator, he deserved to have every single human being that he came in contact with fall down on their face and worship him. That was his right. You talk about human rights. Talk about Jesus' right. Gave it all up. And was treated as a slave, treated as the worst of criminals, or treated, executed by crucifixion. Why? Why? The one who never sinned once was treated like the worst of criminals. If that's not injustice, why would the God of the universe allow that? Because he was taking on our sin. He was being punished for it. All the ways that we have looked down our noses at other people based on skin color, based on socioeconomic status and level, based on a whole other host of things that we like to do, Jesus 
on to make ourselves feel superior to other people, Jesus on the cross, he bore it all. Why? So that we could be forgiven. And so that we could be no longer slaves to this constant drive to elevate ourselves over other people. So that we could be free of that. So that he could create one community of people where there's peace and shalom among all the races of the world. Much like the shalom and peace back in the garden that existed before the fall. <clears throat> That's why he did it. Um, I'll close with this. And I'll just say, from Genesis 1 through 12, we see very quickly God's view of race. Everybody, everywhere, made in his image. All races of people. And to mistreat them is to mishandle the very image of God in that person. We see that. We see where racism came from. You know, that's why it's wrong. This is where it came from. We see our desire to glorify ourselves and to elevate and feel superior to other people. We see how it will be fixed. It is fixed when Jesus comes into a person's life forgives them of their sin that is constantly wanting to elevate themselves above other people and then reworks their heart so that they now see God it's now see through God's eyes that they see all people inherently valuable and inherently full of dignity and worth confession time I was going through the sermon this morning and uh Guess what? I was at my sister's house yesterday, and they have some neighbors that are from India, right? There's some issues going on, kind of, not the major. And as I was going through my sermon, and I was thinking about my desire to want to elevate myself above other people, I thought back about our time last night, and I discovered unconsciously what was happening to me last night. I had feelings of superiority to over them as Indian people and I had the thought that like I just had I unconsciously at the time I had just these things going on inside of me that like I felt better than them I think this happens way more than we recognize and I'm hoping that as we go through this sermon series, God's going to strip all that, reveal all that, and then he's going to heal all that. That is my prayer. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you love us enough to make us in your image. Thank you that uh, you've created people differently with unique gifts and abilities and different culture. And it, it's so much of it. It's all so beautiful and wonderful when it's, when it's focused on you and your glory and not our own glory. Lord, we know, I mean, if we're being honest, we know that there are people we look down our noses at. Whether it's based on race, whether it's based on sexuality, whether it's based on um, position in society or achievements. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would do such a mighty work in us that we would be free of that slavery to want what others have and not just want what others have, but to have more. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are patient with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.